koutou mai anō, haere atu anō, a ku mihi whakawhetai, a ku whakamānoa ki a koutou katoa, kua tahuri mai ki te pai o Pari People. Ko mihi ngā rangi a haue, kawi ana i te Māori o tō tātou wānanga i te pō nei. Welcome to Pari People, brought to you by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today I'm joined by two of the late Queen Elizabeth's favourite treaty partners, the Earl of Awanui, Shane Jones, and the, uh, the Lord of Kawero, Shane Te Pau, Tēnā Kōrua. We didn't sign. We didn't sign. We did not sign. But we settled. Yeah, you probably can't be a Lord if you didn't sign. Yeah. Now speaking of uh, passing leaders, mm. Kohinga Tetehi Totara o Te Ao Māori Tera Wikiara Ko Manu Po, uh, a Māori rights advocate, he was involved in significant Waitangi claims, uh, including flora and fauna, fisheries, and also instrumental in bringing the Rangatahi Court to his marae. Do you have a kōrero about Manu? Mm. Manu uh, had an unusual English name, Cletus. And uh, when we wanted to be cheeky to him, uh, we <laughs> used to call him Cletus in the north. Look, Manu was a significant figure in areas that have now been forgotten, such as the kiwi fruit claim. Mm. You may recall in the early 90s, a group of kiwi fruit growers and Manu Paul got together to challenge the monopoly of the old kiwi fruit board, and they feared that unless Maori had the opportunity to not only grow freely kiwi fruit out of the strictures of the kiwi fruit board, they would be forced through a very narrow funnel. He was unsuccessful, and more recently, I don't know if you know this, Shane, but he wrote a book about soil sovereignty. Mm. So as he got older, uh, Mihi seemed to get uh, very focused on uh, regenerative agriculture and horticulture. Mm. So a man who was a school teacher, and I think if I'm not mistaken, he was also a cop. I've known him uh, since the 1980s, and uh, we should definitely acknowledge his passing. He was a totara tree. I, I, I was lucky enough. He was a teacher of mine in Kawara College, and uh, I think he might have taught he Officially, he might have been maths, but it was politics. And what we didn't really understand is, uh, you know, because we were quite young, how much of a powerful force he was outside outside his uh, teacher's profession. This is a guy that was a Fulbright scholar mm. and, and was very scholarly, uh, basically uh, from the first time I knew him. And, and um, you know, his, the, his, his, his legacy grows on in, in many ways. But, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a guy, him and his wife have produced two district court judges. It's quite unusual, siblings, and, um, and that, will, that will carry on. But what I liked about Manu is that not only would he address issues that were of concern to Māori, if he thought something within Māori Dim was wrong, he would have them on. And one of his last battles actually was with the, um, with the Lakes Trust in Te Arawa, and we're seeing that unfold in the High Court in Rotorua as we speak. Yes, we did that story. Mm. Along, Yeah, he was a battler. He was brave and he, he didn't care what other people no. um, said. Um, ai, e mihi ana ki aia. Well, there's been wall-to-wall coverage of Te Kuini, or Ingarangi, this week too. So, Shane, is it true that you taught her te reo Māori? I just love how this story has gathered momentum <laughs> and traction. Hasn't it just? Yeah. You know, Shane Jones, the authority on all matters linguistic te reo Māori, uh, taught the Queen of England. Oh, if only it was uh, completely true. <laughs> but look, in 1990, I worked for Geoffrey Palmer. Um, she was over here, you may recall. Uh, she came to Waitangi prior to that. I think it was the Commonwealth Games. And somewhere between those two events, um, being in Geoffrey Palmer's office for a short period of time, they were looking for someone to assist with the pronunciation, the enunciation. 
uh, or a very all very hush hush. And I think it must have been through Sakingi Ihaka or Sir Paul Reeves. Anyway, I got shuffled in there. They felt I wouldn't make an embarrassment of them or anyone. But look, you didn't need to tutor her very much. I mean, a very graceful, serene, uh, incredibly composed person. And either by dint of upbringing, you knew you were in the presence of um, one of the uh, most special people you'd ever meet in your life. And her pronunciation was streets ahead of my boss, Sir Geoffrey Palmer, who happened, who actually, if I'm not mistaken, Shane, was the lawyer for Manu Paul in the kiwi fruit claim. So that's my small claim to uh, being you, a contributor to her te reo pronunciation, 1990 Waitangi. You were fresh off the protest lines of the Kawariki. Did you go in there and ask for your land back? <laughs> so uh, it was about 1988. I think by that time we had two or three kids and uh, Ngārita, my uh, uh, former and late wife, uh, said, all right, buddy, <laughs> we're getting out of Dodge. We've, <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a mortgage which must have been about 23%. You're going to earn some dough or we're going to lose our house. Yeah. So, oh, look, I had stood on both sides of the aisle. But what uh, what stands out for me is that people like Sakingi Hucker and that generation, who we don't talk about anymore, they were all men of the Anglican Church. So they had a commitment not only to Queen Elizabeth, but to the church, and she was the head of the church. Mm. So it was not unreasonable for them to expect me to, um, yeah, be available. I'm not sure whether Dame Georgie Kirby might have been there. I just can't quite remember. But hey, they're Should not have been around, around, so the this is my story. <laughs> <laughs> and it was 1990, which was a momentous uh, event. You know, mm. she was uh, fresh off um, the, the celebratory factor, um, Commonwealth Games, and all the whanau were here at the time. Uh, but of course, uh, that was the um, that was the uh, Waitangi Day where they were attacked walking up to Waitangi. Ah, uh, right. And, and then yes. attacked on, and then attacked on the Marana, Hinero Te Po, my yep. first cousin, Through twice. And of course, the very famous, I think, um, resizing speech that Bishop Vuko did that sort of set yeah, te uh, that, te that set a very good cordial going forward in terms of our relationship with um, with the Crown. Yeah, and I don't think we should ever forget Bishop Vuko's stirring mm. speech. He adapted the psalm by the rivers of Babylon into the rivers of Waitangi, I came um, uh, and wept. Mm. That was the essential text. Mm. And um, it would have been a challenge for the Queen because there was a lot of background noise. And uh, the uh, Tuhoi maiden had uh, tossed yeah. something at her and then she went and hid in the bush. A mm. uh, very Tuhoi thing to do. And the Ngāpuhis <laughs> pulled her out and bashed her with the taiaha and gave it to the police. Oh, and, and she challenged the Prime Minister. She said to Geoffrey Palmer at the time, you have to get up and you have to answer him. Mm. You know, and I, I don't think I don't think um, her her real involvement in terms of uh, apologies that were offered on that she didn't offer directly, but the crown offered, and some of the work that was done on the settlement and the settlement speeches. I don't think that there would have been the advances in '95 and beyond if it wasn't for that event in Waitangi 1990, and we ought to recognise that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, we've been so busy, me. Mm. And various iwi things and Māori things, and you're so sure focused have. on your battles either mm. judicially or tribunal or politically mm. in the caucus and in parliament that uh, often it's good to stand back and look at the broad arc of recent social history. And 1990 certainly will uh, loom as an important part 
I think, of our, um, yeah, of our development. Yeah, it'd be nice if um, someone from RNZ pulls that audio out of the vault of uh, Bishop Virko. It'll be in there because... I, I can assure you, uh, for our listeners who may be interested in Māori social history, that was a cracker of a speech. Yeah, you'd probably find that if you wanted to go and have a search at Ngā Sounds. What they did do today, I heard it today, is they replayed the 1990 speech from the Queen and the annunciation shame was perfect. So you're very... Good kayak. <laughs> that was shame. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, but I don't yeah, get back into Parliament. Uh, I, I can help you uh, pronounce uh, <laughs> Te Reo better than Geoffrey Palmer. But it was it was more than just Tenakoto Kato. Yeah, yeah, it was. No, no. Yeah, there was a yeah, bit of work. Bit of effort it. went into mm. that speech. We've been hearing a lot. Uh, um, there's been a bit of kōrero. I think Māori have been mostly respectful um, mm. under a tikanga of letting people, um, you know, t- to bury their dead. And uh, there's not been a lot of kōrero, but in the last day or so I've heard a bit about um, whether, you know, the big R word, Republic, um, and and predominantly heard Māori today say that, you know, it has to be led by Māori if we're going to become a Republic. Te tiriti has to be front and centre in the middle of it. What's your thoughts, Shane? I, I, I went to bed, I oh know, 10 days ago. I was a Republican. I woke up this morning and I'm a monarchist. It must have been, <laughs> you know, all, 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 all the bells and whistles and whatever. No, I think it is inevitable. Um, but if you want to have a rational discussion, do not have it now. Let time mm. let time go by. But having said that, apart from uh, a very few, I don't think it's sort of the top of the pile in terms of where Māori at and what our aspirations are. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to have the heat of te tiriti uh, ripped apart in this discussion and given where we're at in, in terms of our political dialogue at this yep. point in time, that will happen. So I think we should avoid it in the meantime. Should we? Should we just put it away for a bit? Otherwise it's, you know... I think the advocates need to study John Key. Mm. He tried to change the flag and failed miserably. You'll never change the constitutional arrangements of our country unless you have the broad um, base of support amongst the five-odd million people that live here. And, um, Jeff, uh, you know, uh, there have been two commissions into our constitution. Mm. Uh, you may recall Sir Paul Reeves was deeply involved, and each mm. of them have ended in a stalemate. Mm. And uh, I have no doubt in my mind that uh, this is not an issue that will gather much traction in the foreseeable future. Yes. Well, someone who quietly slipped back into Parliament in the midst of the Queen's Tangia Sam Ifundel. Uh, the National Party has welcomed him back following an investigation into a serious assault on a junior boarder at King's College last year before he announced he was standing for Tauranga. Um, he attempted to make amends, but it backfired when the survivor went public. The report was undertaken by Maria Ju Casey, formerly QC. Got to have a good look at that. Um, it was private and we'll have to take their word for it. But Shane, was it sneaky or was it clever to release it on it was, that day? It was sne- sneakily clever, I suppose. Uh, I'd look, I've, I, I don't really ke- care about Orphandale. I think he's a guy that um, benefits from white privilege and will fail upwards and probably will throughout his career. But uh, here's the thing. Uh, Luxton said himself that the people of Tauranga ought to have known before they elected him. Uh, they ought to know what at least the executive summary is and what the methodologies and how they reach that decision because they he will represent them for the rest of for the rest of his political life. Will they will they put him up again? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think they're going to move forward and he's going to move forward. Do, does it make it difficult for certain portfolios? Like, could he do crime and justice? I don't think he'll ever be a minister. Mm. I think he's um, destined to be a backbencher. He might rise to being a chairman of a select committee, but um, he's just a Pakeha version of Dr Sharma. He's had his day in the sun and he will settle like a mushroom. Mm. 
Um, does it hurt uh, Christopher Luxon uh, making decisions like this? I think Christopher Luxon has a bigger problem. Mm. He arrived with a lot of expectation. He arrived with a pedigree out of corporate um, New Zealand, with Air New Zealand, and he is not flying high. Uh, it's very difficult. I mean, in fact, he's, he's increasingly looking like the vapours from one of his jet. He, he, he's coming across as vacuous, he's coming across as empty, and he's coming across as devoid of content. And maybe he's trying to win power by saying and doing very little and capitalising on the errors of the government. Well, you get to a point when Kiwis do turn their mind to voting, a majority of Kiwis are going to want to hear more than that. You'll always have those who follow the allegiance of the blue team or the red team. And, hey, that's politics all over the world. But there'll be a lot in the middle. But what does this guy actually want to do? What is he going to do to improve the lot of our country or me. And at the moment, I'd challenge you to identify much of anything that the man has said which is concrete and uh, a good signifier as to what he's going to do in the event that he gets power, Shane. Yeah, no, I, I agree with Shane. But also his, <clears throat> his blueprint policy is tax cuts based ostensibly for the wealthy and what he's sort of inferring is that we can have these massive tax cuts and not have a, not have a social deficit. He will have to be held to account over that and I think he lacks two things. I think he lacks agility and he also, you know, New Zealand New Zealand voters are relatively sort of old-fashioned and he doesn't have authenticity and you, you can't make that up and that's not a pun and let's, I think he suffers from that. Let's talk about some of those voters. All the political action has seems to be in the mural races in yeah. the last week or so. So Auckland hopeful Viv Beck, she's pulled out and you said that two weeks ago, mm. Shane. So um, that leaves a two-horse race between her and uh, Ephesal Collins and Wayne Brown. She pulled out. She said she was going to um, you know, allow the right through, but her hoardings are still up. She's still on, on the ballot box. Um, what do you make of it? Oh, I think that's her, her rationale. I, I, I don't think it's authentic, if I can use that word twice. twice. Uh, she was in the stock because she, uh, she owed some people $350,000. She was. Uh, she said that she was going to explain what happened. And, you know, people fundamentally thought, if you can't run a small campaign, how do you run a big city like Auckland? And she pulled out before um, she was embarrassed further. She wanted to allow Wayne Brown through. Wayne Brown this week has pulled out of a debate with Simon Wilson, said he wouldn't be debated by him. Um, Simon Wilson wrote a piece this morning and said, you know, question whether he can form strong relationships. And I wonder, is he too old for the role? You know, he's like mm. twice as old as the average Aucklander. Mm. No, no, I, I'm I'm very favourably disposed of this Shane is towards <laughs> Wayne Brown. Um, partly through my personal knowledge of him, but I, I genuinely think that he's a disruptor. And um, there is good and bad in being a disruptor, but I, I genuinely feel that the functioning of the adjuncts of the council and indeed the administration, the bureaucracy of the council, since the creation of the super city is overdue for a big shake-up. Now, whether or not he can organise to have good relationships with um, the other councillors that's a challenge for any mayor. I watched uh, Phil Goff get very frustrated. Mm. I watched even Len Brown, and if there was ever a schmoozer in Auckland, it was Len. So I wouldn't write him off. I do believe he'll win. Um, I think that Efeso probably has deeper roots in larger parts of Auckland, but the people who really want Efeso to win won't turn out to vote. Do you agree with that assessment? 
Uh, no, Clearly I think, not. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I think the Fisk's got every chance of winning. I think that his ground game is bigger and deeper. Shane's alluded to that. Mm. <coughs> I think that whilst he is, whilst Wang can be seen as a disruptor, uh, I think that we should just perhaps reflect on who knows him best and who knows him best. The people of Northland, he was the mayor mm. for two terms. He got beaten, beaten, which is unprecedented by a margin of three of three to one. And also he, he says silly crap. And, you know, I, I, I put it down to maybe, you know, he's just a, an uncle from a bygone era that says stuff that's inappropriate, but I'm an uncle. You're an auntie. We don't talk like that, and I think that, and I think that, and I think that will be an issue that he will be confronted, come ballot box. But I'm not writing him off. I think this is this mayoral um, vote will come down to a few thousand votes. Let's scoot down to the other end of the country because there's a really close race down there. Tvanganuiyatara, Tory Fano and Paul Eagler, Nick and Nick. Might we have our first Wahine Māori? Mm, it's certainly looking that way. Um, I was in politics with Paul, and as I've said on this program. Mm. Um, on an earlier occasion, but you got to give it to Tory. What a name. Mm. Yeah. In fact, when I first heard her name, I had to double check. You're not one of these people who sort of goes through a life crisis and changes your name or something. And I was uh, given a growling for saying that, but um, look, it's, uh, it's, it's open slather. What do you need at the end of the race? Has she got what it takes at the end? Yeah, at the end, at the end you've got to have the ability, certainly in Wellington, to keep people working together. There's been a lot of divisiveness on that council. And uh, you need not only strong leadership, but you've got to maintain a corpus. You've got to maintain some solidarity. Mm. And um, look, I naturally feel that Paul's got the experience, but I'm certainly not writing off Tory. She's mm. got a great social media game. She's everywhere. Will that <coughs> will that count for her, or will her voters just be she, old-fashioned? She, she 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 does, and I think that loyal Labour voters might, in fact, back her now because um, you know. Her and Foster try to make it a two-horse race. It looks like Foster's well down the down the track, so he's a bit of a gilding. Um, uh, Paul is a bit, bit of a Clydesdale, slowly but steady, but the, the filly's coming up, and, you know, uh, it's neck and neck there, and I think what will happen is that she will n- mobilise not only her green team, but a lot of those Labour voters that uh, are a little bit trendy like me and will think, yeah, yeah, it is time to support a Waihene Māori. So, um, now that they yeah, know it's, she's it's a gonna, possibility. Now that more than a possibility, it's a statistical dead heat down there and really interesting when I when I um, chaired the debate down there both uh, Eagle and Foster said that that Tory would be their second choice and remember this is preferential voting down there so it's not only the first votes that count the second votes but Mm -hmm. the third votes that count so some of Foster's team and some of some of um, Paul Eagle's team come across the Tory um, whanau she could win it on third preferential voting and I reckon Hear it now. This is my prediction. Prediction. That's how it's going to play out. Wonder if she. Pla- Do you think she would have planned it that way? No, I think that she probably was a candidate that uh, went, entered in the race to raise her profile and had ambitions for being a member of parliament. Uh, now she's in with a real chance. So the game changed. The game has changed. Oh boy. So uh, figures released to us. Uh, around Kiwi Build mm-hmm. show that of the 1,300 homes built, just 4.3% have gone to Fano Māori. Could you argue the framework of Kiwi Build is inequitable for Māori? I was on the telly recently while Megan Woods was there, and I think she has made uh, a serious um, dent on trying to improve Labor's housing policy, but Kiwi Build, with its promise of 100,000 houses, was doomed to fail the moment the words left Phil Twyford's mouth. And uh, I think all we're seeing now is that it's, uh, 
it's in tatters. Mm. Yeah. What do you think about those numbers, Shane? I'm not surprised. You know, people say people see me and they they know that I'm labour aligned, and I really don't apologise for that. But I was one of the first to speak out against Kiwi Build some three, four years ago. This was a middle-class SOP to middle-class New Zealand, middle-class vote. It was never going to work for us, let alone let alone New Zealand. And uh, it made initially it made some developers rich, but even they walked away because there wasn't in the margins in it. The answer is state homes, yeah. state homes, state homes. The housing policy of Kiwi Build has been an unmitigated yeah. failure. It would have been a lot easier to have handed dough over to social housing providers, whether it's Waipareira, the churches, a billion dollars a year to keep people in motels. And how on earth are they ever going to get out of that trap? That's a billion dollars. And then KiwiBuild has not delivered affordable houses that um, garden variety Kiwis can afford to buy. And the reality is... Kainga Order, once all the facts and figures come out, there's going to be some horror stories mm. in the Kainga Order saga. As and the to... Kiwi build or the Kainga Order? No, no, the, the both. Yep. The both. The Kainga Order, uh, the cost structure, the looseness of um, how they've been spending money. But just coming back very briefly to Kiwi build, great name, zero delivery. Um, you know, what, what, do you agree? No, no, ab- absolutely. And but well, I, I What think, I was going to say is. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I think if I because I actually mm. look at the numbers uh, just recently, and actually under the National Māori Party government prior to Labour, I think the emergency housing money doubled and uh, tripled in three months or something like that. It was millions then as well. Yeah, yeah. And look, I'm old enough to remember good old Māori affairs where they could give you three things: mm. they give you a job, mm. hey, through trade training; they give you help, and then they'll give you a small business loan. So, so actually, what that and I think that Māori, Māori uh, <coughs> home ownerships have dropped by about 15% since, since their demise. And I think what it does show is if the money and the resources are, are allocated to the right people at the right time, they can work. And when I talk about state homes, I'm not I'm not talking about homes that the the state and the sort of and in, in, in the as we understand it, we can talk about hapu and iwi and mm. churches, and we just build it. The other thing is what we have to understand about state ho- homes that they're temporary, but they get people off the streets, they get people out of emergency housing, they'll, they'll be able to live somewhere warm, mm. somewhere relatively safe, and it's part of their journey as they move on to their own home ownership. And I think that's the journey because it's worked before, and I think it can work again. When you look at some of the, <coughs> um, the housing. Uh, ideas or schemes or programs that are running under the Minister for Māori Development, there's mm. been more success there, not so much in the urban areas, but in some mm. of the regional areas. Um, in terms of you know getting Māori into houses in places like up north where you yeah. guys are from, yeah. is that the way to go? The first, uh, the first thing, if you want to make a dent in Māori housing in uh, rural New Zealand, is pay for the infrastructure. Yeah. When you're spending a billion dollars on motels, if I can be figurative, then for $100 million, you would have established scores and scores of papakainga housing with the infrastructure paid for as a public good, then put houses on there, and then enable people over time to pay the debt off. But you cannot unless you can meet the cost of the infrastructure. And most owners of Māori land, the capital is there, but the cash is missing. Do they need a $3 billion need regional development fund? Pardon? Do they need a $3 billion regional <laughs> development fund? <laughs> yes, well, sadly... Um, <laughs> Uh, that no longer exists, but hey, Tai Ho helps on the way. <laughs> but there's been lots of money, eh? There's been lots of money, but it's, I think it's been directed in, in the wrong way, wrong pathway. And there are some real great successes. Uh, we're seeing this on the on the East Coast. 
Tuhoi is just starting to get yeah. into it, and we, and we leverage in our, our settlement mm. money, but the numbers are small. The numbers are small. And all due respect, housing problems aren't in Taniatua or in... Um, no, or they're in, in Rotorua. Rotorua. They're, they're in Rotorua, they're and in they're in, they're in Wellington, South Auckland, Auckland. they're Wellington, Auckland. Yeah, it's That's a big the challenge. Reality. A couple of stats. Mm. Today, there are 720,000 kids at school. 25% of them are Māori. Mm. So what we do today, unless we're building our durable solutions for education and for housing, we're going to have one hell of a problem when that number of New Zealanders are coming out of school and they've got truancy of 25% mm. our Māori kids. Mm. So it's really time for the team there in the Māori caucus to get back to basics. Uh, and of those 25%, uh, 44% of them live in a house where, the, where their family owns it. So there's a big gap between Māori yeah. home ownership and Pākehā at 66%. Hey, just on the regional uh, development fund, what are some of the kaupapa that you're excited about that have been funded You know, all those years ago? Well, if I look around uh, the various regions... The Provincial Growth Fund has rejuvenated those areas around Oportiki. Um, Shane will tell you Oportiki yeah. was a forgotten mm. uh, area. The largest mussel farm, the largest mussel factory, the kiwi fruit developments have grown in Tefano Upanui, housing is happening there, water storage. And I'm not going to talk about Taitokiro because I got blamed for giving too much putia to my own area. But a lot of the funding, um, Mihi, was infrastructure deficit funding because rural New Zealand had been overlooked for so long. And um, there were things such as the Hundavasa Centre, which mm. are going to be magnets for economic activity. But most importantly for me is the development of uh, infrastructure that will live over multiple generations. If it wasn't for that money that was spent in infrastructure in the Eastern Bay of Plenty, particularly around railways, mm. particularly around that, in, in, that inland port in Rotorua, <coughs> sorry, in, in, in Kawara and Whakatane, you would not be able to move the... the, the quantity and quality of kiwi fruit that uh, that really has saved that that area so what it proves again is that fundamental investment in infrastructure benefits because you can have product but if you can't get it to port efficiently it's not worth it just quickly what are you looking forward to this week in politics the prime minister needs to come back i think she needs to front around the economy uh, we just can't have interest rates go up and up and up um, it looks like inflation is dampened and what she'll have to do is she'll have to figure out do we carry on the pathway of inflation or do we have to take the steam out in terms of employment and that's a very tough call for her to make. Shane Jones coming up in Te Whare uh, Friday the business community will let out air probably foul for the government in terms of the boardroom survey mm -hmm. Uh, I do think at the end of the day, this time next year, the economy is going to determine political outcomes. Ka pai. Well, that's it from us, party people, uh, for this week. E hoa māka nui te mihi ki te puna whakatonga rewa mōna i tautoko i tēnei kaupapa. Uh, tēnā kōrua, iako manu heri tu arangi. Don't forget you can watch us via RNZ's YouTube account and Facebook pages or download us on Apple Podcasts. Nō no horo maira. <laughs>